to a simple analogy might be um, the the what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? So in the end, you still want to you still want a chicken. It's still the the end result, you know. In business, we we want positive prof- profitability, right? Right. What comes into question is where's the focus to get there, right? So in a traditional leadership kind of style, um, where it's an I lead versus I serve. Mm-hmm. It's okay, team. We got to hit these numbers, and you need to come through with your work for us to hit the numbers. So the focus is on the numbers, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't care what you have to go through or what training you need or anything of that nature. It's just this is our goal. This is what we what we have to hit, and go out and do your work to make sure we hit the numbers, right? That might be the quote, the egg. You mm-hmm. know, pick one of them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, the, the the other one. Um, is the chicken is the focus is not on the numbers. The focus is on my team, giving them the skills and talents. Um, if they don't already have it, um, in their, in their repertoire, uh, to go out and do the work, give them proper tools to allow them to do it in an efficient manner and so forth. So all the focus is on the people and the natural outcome of that effort, that investment in your people will be, the numbers. Hello, and welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy McDowell, founder and owner of Generate Your Value, providing life, leadership, and small business coaching services in the Atlanta area. And I'm Zach Levy, your other co-host. I run a nationwide financial service business with my wife, Megan. Together, Zach and I have the intention to bring you tips, concepts, ideas, suggestions, stories, and analogies from A to Z, which will help you to grow your personal brand and small business in such a way that joy, happiness, and success as you define it for yourself are achieved. We hope to use our gifts, talents, and experiences in business to generate value in your life. And with that being said, let's move to our topic for today. Thank you again for joining us for today's podcast. We know your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending it with Andy and I to generate more value in this world. Today, we are actually covering, as we mentioned last week, servant leadership. Um, we really decided to pull this style of leadership out because it, for Andy and I both, we feel it's the most significant, and the most impactful and will help us all generate the most value in the world out of any of the other styles of leaderships. And we, we really try to practice this ourselves. So to dig in first, let's, let's understand the history of where this, this concept, this theory of servant leadership started. So Andy, do you want to go into that for us? Sure. Um, and hello, by the way, good to see you. Yes. Good to see you as always. (laughs) Yeah. So servant leadership, um, servant leadership is, uh, fairly new to the leadership world. It was a theory that was developed by uh, Mr. Robert Green- Greenleaf, um, who happened to be an executive at the time with AT&T. And he wrote an essay called The Servant as Leader back in 1970. So 1970 to 2021, we're talking about 50 years 
only of uh, servant leadership being around. Um, unlike a lot of the other forms of leadership that have been around through the centuries, um, so to speak. Uh, so it is a relatively new theory construct, and because of that, uh, the research in academia um, still goes on. Uh, so you can think of it this way, that Robert Greenleaf sort of planted a seed, if you will, into people's um, minds about this kind of construct, and um, past his life, academia has picked it up and continues to do more and more research on it to sort of further develop it and sort of put it more in the stone, so to speak, as to exactly what is servant leadership, what are the tenets, the um, the tools um, that people that practice servant leadership use um, with their with their direct reports, their subordinates, etc., uh, in the business world. <clears throat> so. Robert Greenleaf got the inspiration from, from uh, reading a book, a 1930 book from an author whose last name is Hess, uh, called A Journey to the East, where the main character of the story is in amongst other servants. So it's a group of servants. Um, I haven't read the book, so I don't know if, if it's in like a, a royalty kind of setting or a slavery kind of setting or what it is, but he had a group of servants and the lead character all of a sudden disappears. And the other servants uh, really missed this particular person and became or realized how much of a leader he was amongst the servants um, by his absence. And it got him to thinking and uh, getting some inspiration from the story and therefore developed his essay, The Servant is a Leader, to sort of start planting the seed about a construct that might work better and generate more value in people's lives. Uh, servant leadership sort of uh, entered the research arena in 1998. Um, so that's 28 years after uh, Robert wrote his essay. Uh, and since then, uh, 270 peer-reviewed research articles have been published on the subject across uh, 122 academic journals. So we can say it's ve um, very much alive, very much being researched. Uh, there are a number of um, strong influencers that have come along that practice servant leadership, um, like Stephen Covey, uh, Ken, Blan Ken Blanchard, and others uh, that have sort of picked up the baton from Robert to keep... Um, talking, discussing out in social media and out in the world, in the press, uh, as well as within academia to keep this movement going and to get it, I don't know if stronger is the right word, but to get it more solid or have a foundation in it with which um, people can study it in uh, in their MBAs or in, in business school or um, leadership courses or whatever and potentially adapt it for the for themselves. Right. And I think it's become much more prevalent in, in companies in the workspace today, just as a whole being perpetuated through academia at first. Yes. Well, I mean, you have to, 
have to have enough meat on the bones, so to speak, around it uh, for people to get excited and understand it and want to adopt it for themselves and can see what the benefits. And we'll, at the end of this episode, get into uh, the benefits of uh, this kind of leadership style, but once you once you see it, you start believing in it. I mean, right. I first uh, came across it um, through researching leadership, and leadership's always been a big topic I've always been interested in all my life. Um, when it first started coming on the scene in the late 90s or early 2000 kind of era, and started practicing it and saw tremendous results in my team uh, from that perspective and tried to develop my people in this kind of style and have them adapt it for themselves when they could see the benefits they got out of my leadership using it um, from that perspective. Right. And I've, I've seen compare and contrast where, you know, um, I, I was my original career was in a company that practiced a very much so um, autocratic style of leadership. It was, you know, company's way or the highway. Mm -hmm. And um, then I moved into a another career in restaurant management um, where I discovered servant leadership. I was actually reading a few leadership books on that. And when I started actually implementing the practices on which I studied very, very quickly, the entire culture of my restaurants changed and much better performance and everything. Mm -hmm. And then I was blessed to find a path that led me to where we are now, which I got to regrow up, if you will, um, in a complete culture of 100% servant leadership. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, watered that seed and really that that flower blossomed and we get to practice that today. And it, it it's so much, on a leader even, it's so much more rewarding than, you know, just do as I say. But, and we'll get into the why behind that, but the whole purpose, y'all, of servant leadership and what Greenleaf was really getting into is that as a servant leader, we should first put the needs of our of our team, of our people, of others first as our number one priority in order to reach that success, in order to grow, in order to have quote unquote, and I, I put quotes there for a reason, power um, by putting others first. My favorite saying is actually, um, I took this from my business mentor now, which going back years with him, um, you know, follow me, I'm right behind you. So yes, I'm the leader, but in order for me to lead, I'm going to push you up. I'm going to make sure that your needs are met first. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of so that you can trust in me and there's a reciprocal relationship there, which we'll get into. Yeah, as we were talking earlier, it's the push versus pull model, right? Right. In the traditional traditional leadership styles, the sort of command and control kind of styles, it's more much more of a pull. Mm -hmm. I'm the leader, follow me, <clears throat> I'm carrying the flag, storming the hill, per se, and follow, follow me. And if, oh, by the way, you get hit with a bullet on the way up, 
I'm still charging up with the flag. Right. And my concern is about me getting to the top of the hill. And if we lose you along the way, so be it. Right. Uh, versus a push model where, just like you said, follow, follow me, I'm right behind you. Uh, you're pushing pushing your people up the hill and you're trying to get there together as a team. Right. Every every person matters and we have concern about them. We're going to push you up the hill so that we're all staying on top of the hill. Sort of like an Iwo Jima. Right. You know, with the flag up at the top of the hill as all team members. Um because we're concerned about all making the hill as opposed to just me. Well, and another saying, um, you know, rising tides float all the boats. So pushing everybody up ultimately does cause everybody in the organization to, you know, self-develop further, to become healthier, wiser, and just overall get better. So it overall increases the health of the organization as well. Yeah, because hopefully your organization is going to grow. You're going right. to have more needs for more people in the organization. And the more you need to add people to the organization, you need more leaders. Right. Again, so, the, you, you've always said the role of a, of a true leader is to develop leaders. The number one priority is to develop other leaders. Right. And that's the huge tenet of um, steward uh, servant leadership. Right. Uh, is that basis. Because uh, the focus is downward instead of my upward, right? It's not about my upward mobility within organization. It's about the mobility of all of us. Right. Um, as we mentioned in the last episode, it takes a little bit more time and effort with this kind of leadership style because there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings because your focus is your people and their development, uh, whether it's just skills and talents or you're trying to teach them about leadership and what does it take to be a leader and teach them how to be a, um, a leader in the future. But that takes time. Well, it is, it's almost. It's an investment. Yeah, exactly. You went right where I was going in the world. I work in talking about compound interest and the, you know, time value mm -hmm. of compound interest. At first it might not seem like it's growing that much. But then as time goes on, it just explodes right, in a positive manner. <laughs> so, um, you know, that leadership, you just start to all of a sudden, just that leadership style starts compounding within that organization and leaders grow other leaders. And you've created a chain reaction that is so beautiful that really does generate so much value in so many other areas, which... We've talked about before how, you know, our our goal in this podcast is not just business, but to generate value in every area of life. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about how this can overflow later too. But when we look at the servant leadership style, it's it's really in opposition to the the stereotypical boss or leadership mm -hmm. style, right? Imagine. You know, you think of the hierarchical structure of business, right? Where you get that autocratic style leadership and you've got one person calling the shots. Then you've got middle management calling the shots below that. Mm -hmm. And it's do as I say, this is, this is the way it needs to be done. This is what the company says. Whereas servant leadership literally turns that on its head and puts the need of the of the lowest person first. 
and really builds them up, meets their needs, which again, going back to this, will therefore facilitate the organization's needs. Yeah, so you can you can think that this leadership style has the the golden rule mm-hmm. heavily built into the construct of the leadership style, right? Treat others as you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the exact words, but that's the essence of the golden rule is um, to treat others in the way in which you would like to be treated. And we're all human beings. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to contribute to the cause, so to speak, that's sort of built in our human nature in terms of DNA, and that's what this leadership style um, allows for, is that um, because your focus is on providing a vision for your team and allowing them to use their skills and talents and ideas to sort of bubble up from below, so to speak, to actually contribute to the cause. Right. There's a lot of satisfaction, pride, and joy, and happiness, and all those good, good feelings that come out of, you know, the ability to do that is human nature, and that's what this leadership style um, allows to do. Um, if you've got an autocratic leader at the top, you know, that's forcing his employees to work in a certain way and at a high high level output and so forth, what do you get out of it? You get burnout. Right. You get people leaving. You get people you know, who feel they don't like want a, to be in that environment. Well, they feel like a cog in a machine. Cog in a machine. Mm-hmm. You know, every, like you said, every human wants somewhere inside them. They want to f- be seen. They want to feel special. They want to be recognized mm-hmm. um, to some degree. And really using a 360 style of leadership, I've always been encouraged by my mentors, you know, to, to provide feedback, right? Which always, always, always made me feel important. Now, what does that in turn make me do? It makes me take my team and uh, my organization and have calls with them say, Hey, how do you feel about this? How, you know, what is your input on this and how can, what do you need from me first? Not, Hey, I need you to do this. But right. how so, are you, what do you need from me to be where you want to be? So a simple analogy might be um, the, the, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? So in the end, you still want a, you still want a chicken. It's still the, the end result. You know, in business, we, we want positive prof- profitability. Right. Right. What comes into question is... Where's the focus to get there, right? So in a traditional leadership kind of style, um, where it's an I lead versus I serve, mm-hmm. it's, okay, team, we got to hit these numbers and you need to come through with your work for us to hit the numbers. So the focus is on the numbers, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't care what you have to go through or what training you need or anything of that nature. It's just, this is our goal. This is what we, what we have to hit and go out and do your work. To make sure we hit the numbers, right? That might be the quote, the egg. You know, mm-hmm. pick one of them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, the, the the other one um, is the chicken. Is the focus is not on the numbers. The focus is on my team, giving them the skills and talents um, if they don't already have it um, in their 
in their repertoire uh, to go out and do the work, give them proper tools to allow them to do it in an efficient manner and so forth. So all the focus is on the people and the natural outcome of that effort, that investment in your people will be the numbers. That's a that's a whole that's a whole different path trying to get to the same point. Um, is the point I'm trying to make here, and um, I'm a firm believer that servant leadership can not only get you the same numbers as the traditional, but can get you better numbers because your people tend to jump higher, they get engaged and involved in the team, they get involved in the why of the organization. And they, they are willing to, because of the environment that they've been put in, are willing to, um, you know, when you say jump, they, they ask how high mm-hmm. kind of mentality because of that environment and culture you've created with your leadership style that you actually get better outcomes. Not, not only from a physical money type perspective in the numbers, but also from an emotional engagement perspective with your people. Very much so. Um, again, it, it's them being bought in to the vision, mm-hmm. right? It's them contributing to the vision, um, if you will, using a sports team, right? Um, last week, we used the analogy of um, alignment that blocks and the running back who scores a touchdown mm-hmm. gets recognized. But why right. does the lineman block? Because he's bought into that vision of that Super Bowl ring. Right. Right? Right. Because... He gets a ring just the same as that running it's back. It's about does. the W. It's not about the running back's yard. It's yards per game exactly. statistic. Exactly. Right. So, but that coach has poured into that lineman. That coach has spent time with that lineman mm-hmm. and they know their role and why they need to do it and they're bought in. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yes, we talked about coaching last week and I use the word coach, but I think the best coaches are often servant leaders. So, um, well, they have a, they have a, and this gets to, to the next point I want to bring up. It gets to, uh, there are a number of people in this world that have, and I think include you and I in this, have an inherent in our DNA a desire to serve. It's sort of built into us. They were actually looking for those opportunities in our lives and in the world. So, right. so some other folks, may not naturally lean towards that, but when they see outcomes they get from being underneath a servant leader in an organization, they they sort of slowly turn the ship around to that point and work and practice and build those muscles mm-hmm. to do it because they see the outcomes. But I think in, inherently uh, in nature with it, um, so I, er, in doing research for this episode, I came across this phrase that really got me thinking. Um, and that is, uh, the phrase is, I serve because I am a leader, and I am the leader because I serve. So it's one of those those things in life where it's the same words in the sentence, but you flip it around and mm-hmm. you get slightly different meaning uh, because of the order in which you put the word. So if we look at the first phrase, I serve because I am a leader, uh, sort of signifies an act of altruism, right? Mm-hmm. Altruism being the belief and the selfless concern for others. So it's, that's where that sort of the natural service is built in our DNA comes from, right? It's saying, if I'm a leader, then I must serve, not 
I'm a leader and therefore I must gain power and get to the top of the hill and have success. And I don't care what anybody else happens to anybody else in that process. It's all about me getting to the top. Um, And the second phrase then denotes a desire uh, to lead others. You know, we, you and I were talking before we started recording about the triangle. Mm Mm-hmm. Typical command and control, the traditional leadership style is about the triangle with the the larger base at the bottom and the pinnacle at the top, and it's all about getting to the top. Right. Whereas servant leadership does what? Completely flips it. Turns it on its head, right? The the focus is about the individual at the bottom of the organization, and do they have the skills and talents uh, to do their job? If they don't, are they being trained properly? Do they have software tools or other tools necessary to access information or do calculations, whatever is necessary in their job to, I mean, is their environment to deliver correct? to the customer, right? Yeah. Is their environment correct? You know, is culture correct? Do they, do they have they a have, great product to sell if they're in sales? Do they have a proper balance to where they're not being burnt out, et cetera, right? So I think that's, that's a, um, an important tenant to remember a visual that somebody can use about servant leadership is that triangle and turning it upside down on its head. That was one of the first things when I started looking at, at the, the research, you know, back in the late 90s or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. That really burned an image in my head is that we're really turning this upside down on its head. And that's why some people like to think this is the, a battle of extremes almost. And then you have the traditional style on one side, and then you have servant leadership, which is a total flipping of it uh, on the on the other side, and then all the others sort of fit in a somewhere in between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some people say. All right, so let's um, let's talk about the three key elements. So I mean, in it first go through, you know, motive, mode, mindset. But the motive behind this, I mean, the personal motivation, really taking that leadership responsibility, and you've got to have strong sense of self and a psychological maturity to put others first, mm-hmm. right? Um, because, you know, studying a... L- very, very little psychology, but <laughs> I do recall, you know, the the phases of the way psychologically we mature, right? Um, typically, that adolescent mindset is a parade mentality, me first, everybody look at me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. So, it does take a certain sense of maturity to become a servant leader to say, no, it's not about me, but it's about you. Right. Take the focus off of me. How can I help you? What do you need? Right. Um, also to, to lead, like we've always been saying, prioritizing the subordinates needs above the overall organizational needs. So yes, we need to hit goals X, Y, and Z, but what, what does the team need? first. Right. So in previous episodes, we talked about strategy versus tactics, right? And mm-hmm. where, where, where does that live within an organization? 
And I, I don't care how much literature you read in strategy um, that's plentiful that's out there, but the reality is first you got to develop a strategy, then you got to successfully execute on it. And your successful execution of your strategy happens in the tactical part of your business, which typically is your bottom half. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you can have the best strategy in the world, but if you haven't taken care of the people in the bottom half of your organization and given them the processes, the tools, the training, the skill sets, you know, their own unique talent and or developing that talent, if you're not working on those elements tactically, you're not going to execute well and it's all for naught. Right. Um, and I think servant leadership sort of hits that, hits that nail on the head from that, from that perspective. Very much so. Um, but then going about it, right. We've gone over motive mode, but also, Andy, if you want to talk more further about the whole mindset behind servant leadership, right? Yeah. So the, in, in the mindset, you're trying to develop a growth mindset amongst your direct reports and then in turn trying to get them, if they have their own direct reports, to then turn their focus around and focus on them. You know, in other words, it needs a little bit of talk about the big picture with your direct reports, particularly if there's other folks in the organization that are below them in developing their own leadership style to get them to see the the benefits and the desires and in, in the mindset necessary. Because um, most likely they're going to come into your organization with that traditional, I mean, that they see it in the movies, they see it out right. in the world and everything, you know, because the, the bulk of the world operates this way. So right. they're coming in with this mentality of to provide, you know, a better life for my family. I need to work myself up the food chain and get a higher salary and, that's all very appropriate. I'm not trying to take anything away mm -hmm. from that. It's more about the method to the madness, so to speak, in that example I gave a few minutes ago about the pathway to get there. You know, if you, if you realize that you as a leader are getting graded on the results that you achieve for your unit and then contributes to the, the bigger organization, if that's what you're truly being judged on, then there's absolutely a place for servant leadership in there. If they, if you go through that leadership style and you end up getting better results than what were set out as goals for your organization, because people are engaged, they feel like they're being treated right, um, they feel like they're being seen, you get them new skills and talents to allow them to develop into leaders, you know, and right. contribute um, contribute more to the organization um, in the long run. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to start planning that picture and helping your people to develop that kind of mindset to say there's multiple ways to get this job done or multiple ways to skin the cat, as they say, right. in this and have these conversations and dialogues to get them to see how this style works. Right. And, and generates more value in their own life and the people they lead's life and the bigger organization and so forth. I mean, it's literally taking the traditional thought about leadership and telling the organization to do an about face. Yeah. 
turn around, look at those b- below. You don't stop looking up. You'll get there. But so, so if I wanted to use an analogy from the aviation world, it's when air traffic controllers have to flip the runway because mm-hmm. the wind's changed. Right. You're still landing, still landing that airplane on Andy, that's the deep. same piece of same <laughs> piece of concrete or asphalt, right? But you're having them come at it from a totally different direction that still gets the airplane on the ground. Right. I think that analogy goes way deeper than just what it sounds like on the surface level. I mean, the winds have changed. The winds have changed. Yeah. So, but you're still getting the airplane on up in the air and on the ground, right? Right. So you're still yeah. accomplishing what you're out there to accomplish. You just came at it from a different direction, and right? So, um, I didn't mean to throw you off with that one. No, that I mean that was like <laughs> blew my mind there. I was like, wow, that uh, that goes deep if you really just sit there and chew on that. Uh-huh. So, um, but really. This has so much more influence and creates, I I really believe that servant leadership creates more of a culture, a true culture within an organization than any other style of leadership. Again, like we said before, instead of just having a machine, Mm -hmm. if you will, it it creates a culture of social learning because if if somebody's bought into a leader because that leader's bought into them, there's an exchange there, right? There's a right. back and forth. And so it to use a very, very simple analogy here, it's just like if you go to a good restaurant and have an amazing meal, mm-hmm. either you're going to tell all your friends about it or you're going to try to learn to cook it yourself so you can have it at home, right? And it's the same thing. You, you get that taste of that servant leadership and what, it, what it's done for them. And so when they get into a leadership position... It's just going to be passed on. Right. It, it, it is really creates an organic system of duplication of leadership. Right. So if you're going to do this with an organization and make that change and land on the other end of the runway, so to speak, you're, you're going to do it faster if it starts at the top. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of use that trickle-down theory, so to speak, where... Um, you know, the CEO is starting to lead this way. Then, then the EVP and senior VPs, are, you know, and you slowly get this turnaround of the mm-hmm. organization that naturally flows. To try and do this as a gra- sort of a grassroots effort at the bottom of the organization is tough. Right. It's tough to do it. Not to say it's not possible, but it's a little bit of an uphill battle to try and get it done. Well, and if I may, I, I, I can kind of speak to that. Um in an organization I was in, I got a lot of pushback from above mm-hmm. when I started to practice servant leadership with my team. Yep. Right? Because I was always told, you know, don't get involved in their personal life. Don't, you know, if they try to talk to you about their family drama, don't get involved. Mm-hmm. You know, um, don't get too close with your employees, this and that. And, just goes back to that traditional style of corporate leadership that they're just a cog in the machine. I mean, that's literally what it felt like when I was being told that. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're, they're people who have needs that if I listen to those needs, I can better help them get what they need through employment with me. Yeah, servant leadership has a lot of empathy built into right. its construct. Again, that's why a it takes a lot empathy. more time. It takes patience. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, we, we talked about in the previous 
one of the previous episodes about um, a company that follows its why and its purpose ends up making more money over a period of time, right? So if you were to, to look at a five to seven year period with a company that starts developing a culture and, and having a purpose and a why that everybody follows, in that five to seven year period, you end up making more money. Right. Because you get more engagement and so forth. Well, that easily translates into this leadership style or construct. Yeah, it's going to take time. Like you said, it takes time to, fl- to flip if you're doing it from, from the bottom like you did. But it, it takes time for your leadership to see the results that you get because it takes a little bit of time to get mindsets changed and so forth within your organization and to feel the difference in, in the culture and the way that they're led. Right. To then generate better results that then starts getting the attention of the people that are above you. So it takes time. It's not a simple light switch. You just flip on and off. It takes time. Well, and it, it was quite rewarding to see in that scenario where I was sent into a an assignment, if you will, that people were like, oh, that's a lost cause. That 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 location is just a headache. It's a mess. It's a mess and nobody yeah. can fix it. Yeah. People have tried and have failed. Right. Yeah, I've had one of those. Well, it it's because they had and again, I think that this this is a good thing if this is an aside, but if you're listening and you have You've got some really talented people on your team, mm-hmm. but they're really headstrong. <laughs> this is the most effective style of leadership as well. It gets mm-hmm. everybody to buy in because those headstrong people want to be heard the most. Right. They want to be seen the most, and they want to feel like they have a sense of steering the ship with you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And so when I, when I started practicing that, all of a sudden, that ship started to turn around. People are going, how'd you do that? Mm-hmm. And it was really, and I told the ones who were pushing back from above, I said, I did it the opposite of what you told me to do. I said, I learned about their kids. I learned about their family. I learned about their needs outside of work Mm -hmm. and how I could facilitate that through work to help them get what they needed and shared with them the bigger vision of what I had for that location and how by them buying into that, it would serve their need first. Right. And so you start having more qualities of a life coach than you did a, as a boss. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I bought into my people. Mm-hmm. And in return, that social exchange theory, they bought into me and the vision I had. And we all won together. It really, I, I could go on for hours on hours about servant leadership, but <laughs> we won't keep y'all here that long. So, um, but to really, I guess, itemize what this looks like and what really needs to be defined and what you need to have in your tool belt as a servant leader is number one, you, like I just mentioned, you've got to have a clearly defined vision. Any yeah, that's which, a that's a given in any leadership which, style. You got to have say. a vision. It's a commonality in all leadership styles. Have vision, capability, and paint a picture. Because right. if you that's, can't see where you're going, you're going to run into a wall. Yeah, it's an inherent nature of leadership. No matter what kind of style or path that you have, right? Leadership 
unto itself is trying to get to a different right. spot. So, right? so number one, know what you want. Know what that vision is. Have a clearly defined mm-hmm. vision. And going back to start with why, but um, but then to be a servant leader, if you're putting your people first, you can't ever deceive anybody. You can't ever oh, well, just do this, and it's really for my personal gain, not, you know, that kind of pull the wool over by his eyes. You can't do that and truly be a servant leader in this work. Yeah, so we can sort of group three three tools, if you will, in your in your bag relative to servant leadership because they're, they're, they're all interconnected, right? Mm-hmm. So that's honesty, trust, and integrity. Right. And- right? You, people have got to buy into what you're, what you're telling them. They got to. They got to trust you that you're that you're practicing servant leadership and that you really truly have concern for them as a human being. Um, and, and be you know through through empathy, empathy and support that you want to help them get to where they want to go in life. Right. Right. You're that s- sort of um, trusted mentor. Right. Well, um, in in a in a direct report boss kind of relationship, as opposed to a, a mentor that might be somewhere else in the mm-hmm. organization, that um, you have their best interests at heart, and sometimes that requires tough conversations. That's where right. the honest the honest part comes in is to say, "This is where you have room for growth, right? To get to get where you need to be, and I'm here to here to help you get there if you have the right mindset and." want to work on these things, I'll work on it with you together. Right. And and the servant leadership model, again, it creates a growth mindset because when when you've gotten to a point where you've bought into them, they've bought into you, that exchange has taken place. When I come to you and say, hey, Andy, we, let's talk about a few areas where I think you could develop better. Mm-hmm. You're going to receive that much better than if I was a boss and I've just given you commands and said, Hey, we need to do this better, right? Yeah, and part of it comes outside of the conversation between you and your direct report. It also means that if this person is bought in, you're ha- you're having those honest trust integrity kind of conversations. They develop a growth mindset. You develop a growth plan, and they actually start executing on it. You then have to turn around and be an advocate for them to the higher ups in the organization to say, mm-hmm. I've got a man or a woman that's ready for the next level. Mm-hmm. We've spent time doing this, that, and so forth. Here's the results of that effort. This is how they've performed. And you need to be the advocate. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the exchange that happens here between your direct report and and you as a leader is I'm telling you to do these things. And if you do it, you're going to get the skills and talents and have the growth necessary to step at the next level. And oh, by the way, when that happens, if you buy in, if you buy into what I'm saying as your leader, that I'm going to turn around and be an advocate to make sure that happens for you. Right. Because if you don't, if you don't have that and people start to see that, then all of a sudden they're like, well, why, why do I bother doing, putting in this work? Because you're, you're more concerned about what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking to your boss is about for your own promotion, possibly, as opposed to um, helping me out. Mm-hmm. 
because you're you, you've got responsibility, accountability, and authority in your job that means more upstairs than what I, as somebody below below you, have. Right. Well, and just to highlight one of those three we just mentioned, um, you know, one one of the things my mentors always said was even back when we worked together seven years ago led the organization with a servant leadership mentality. And the number one thing that we always talked about was trust without doubt. Mm -hmm. Right. Which especially in a new organization is very hard to do. Right. Or for a new employee is very hard to do. That's why servant leadership is, you've got to make a lot more deposits with servant leadership than you do with any other style. Um, Because you've got to have an amount to, if you will be able to withdraw Right, you have to generate value in their life before they're really going to generate value for you. Right? Yeah, servant leadership's not an easy route. No. quote easy route because, like you said, it's it's a lot more investment and in time and energy, having difficult conversations and so forth. But you get more out of it. Right. Well, I mean, the root word of servant is serve. So think, you know, when we think of a service to somebody. I mean, or we provide service. I mean, I really think of volunteering, right? It's investing time to help others first. That's what servant leadership is all about, mm-hmm. right? Um, and really, by being that servant leader, modeling these behaviors to, again, go back to create more leaders. Yeah, it's sort of modeling the way, right? Right. Well, to, to, don't do as I say, do as I do. Right, exactly. Kind of thing, right? From that standpoint, that's a, another important tool for a servant leader is your actions mean more than your words. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I wanted to emphasize that point about you got to be an advocate for your for your people, right? Um. To to make all that that investment that you made in for the organization by being a servant leader to your people. If you're not being an advocate for them, then why bother? Right. Well, and that goes right into an amazing point. I mean, the appreciation of others, if, if they've really done for the organization, they stepped up recognizing that. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, even going to higher ups and being able to being willing to stick your neck out for them. Right. Um, to be able to say, Hey, you know, even you, you mentioned a point earlier about having tough conversations, not just down, but up too, for yes. those people. Yes. Right. Um, to, and these tie together, but appreciating them and that appreciation then will further empower them to do even more. Well, we all want to be recognized for our efforts, right? Right. Regardless if you're talking about your marriage or in business or whatever, you want to be recognize but in order to get people to change mindsets and change behaviors for the positive you want to reinforce that right it's one thing to ask people to do it but you got to follow that up with when they actually do it you you need to reinforce it right right it's the same thing with your children if you're a parent with your children you see see them actually throw stuff in the garbage you want to Praise them because you're mm-hmm. trying to reinforce that behavior that they keep doing that over and over and over again in their lives. Right. It's no different here. Right. Right? 
And the best way to do it is to recognize them for their efforts. More so than just in a one-on-one. I mean, it's one thing to well, have them come in your office, shut the door, and praise them. This is you a, want to praise them in front of others. I mean, this is a very core overall leadership principle, but I was always taught in, in management, right? Praise in public, reprimand in private, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because those tough conversations, I mean, yeah, they need, they're, they're, they're always going to need to be had, right? Servant leadership for their organization is a lot like a parent. You all, there are times you have to reprimand a child, right? But when they do well, making them feel special in front of the group, mm-hmm. right? Because then that also leads to more modeling because if they're praised for doing the right things, for stepping up, everybody says, I want to be recognized. Sure. And, and it just creates a culture. Creates that culture. So... And 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 empowers them, right? Right. Particularly if your direct report is leading others, right? By having them train this way, it sort of empowers them to make the switch and empowers them to make an impact on their own teams, Mm -hmm. their own teams' people. Um, It also empowers an individual to sort of take control of their own destiny, right? Right. Where do, where do you want to go? Well, let me be a support mechanism in helping you get there. Let me help to empower you to take that path and that journey in your life. Right. With that being said, I mean, really, let's move into why servant leadership, right? We always say start with why. We'll go to, we'll wrap up with why. <laughs> but why, why do we feel so strongly about servant leadership? How can, what, better yet, what, value can this generate for you right right what are the benefits what right. are the benefits or or type outcomes that you're looking for from this leadership style what what might sway somebody to to take this on you know when you start talking about benefits these are reasons hopefully logically and in your heart um causes you to take this seriously and think about applying this in your own life right as a small business owner for your for your business and the people that work for you or if you're in a corporation or whatever. Why, why why should I do this? Right. And I mean, one of the most costly things and one of the most frustrating things for any business or any organization, of course, is turnover. Right? Mm-hmm. Retraining of employees, constantly having to hire. Well, the biggest reason why people leave a company is because of their boss. Well, yeah. I mean... Number one reason. Right. Every you can go read every research article. It always comes out number one. No, it's, it's that, not pay. That no, it's that relationship with the boss. So I mean, of course, being a servant leader, putting others first is is going to result in a lower turnover. I mean, if, if people are bought in, they're not going to unbuy in if you continue that servant leadership style, mm-hmm. right? Which, of course, if they're bought in, leads to further. Employee engagement, they're going to be more present, more productive. Right. Right. More willing to throw out ideas on the table in meetings. Right. Because they feel like they're going to be heard. It's going to be considered. Not that it would actually be chosen 100% of the time, but at least it's going to take Right. It could be something as simple as them throwing out something and you have a think tank and you write it up on the whiteboard. Even if you're like, yeah, I would never consider that in a million years. Mm -hmm. But okay, here's an idea. 
their idea is seen. It's acknowledged. They see it being acknowledged. Right. I mean, I know personally what that's done for me, even if my idea wasn't the one used. Right. Um, yeah. If you come down, um, if you're brainstorming and you're throwing all the ideas up on the table and then you move to the next phase where you're going to look at each one and go, why would we do this or why wouldn't we do this? Where you're starting to eliminate some things, even if your idea gets eliminated, you at least have this feeling like it was considered. Right. And yeah, I can see the points that were made why we shouldn't do this. So yeah, I'm okay with it being eliminated. Right. But at least I feel like I was seen, I was heard, I was it was considered, and and therefore I feel valued mm-hmm. in the organization. Right. Um, you know, I kind of touched on this, but then beyond that more productivity they're going to work harder for the vision for the group because the group is supporting them basically right right um well it's that you know going back to that example of oh you want me to jump how how high do you want me to jump i'm willing to put in extra effort uh in contributing to the cause because i feel like i've seen them heard it's considered and my input, and maybe not 100% of the time, but maybe majority of the time is actually part of the output of the organization, right? Right. Um, which this goes with, you know, really lower turnover as well, but less employees, less of the team getting burnt out, stressed out, which stress, all it does is lower productivity in the first place. Burnout lowers productivity. Mm-hmm. And eventually it walks out the door. Right. Exactly. There it goes. Right. <laughs> Right. It's just human nature. If you feel like you're part of the team and you're considered and seen and you're contributing to the cause, then there's less stress. Mm-hmm. It's actually a place that people want to get out of bed and hop in their car and drive 20 miles to, to the job and want to right. work in that kind of culture and environment. Right. It might not be the best paying job. It might no. not be the best career path per se, but they're bought in because they feel appreciated and seen. Mm-hmm. That's more valuable to a human being than, for most, I would say, any dollar amount, right? Um, Which then feeds into the next point, right? You and I were talking before we started recording this. This is a little bit of a surprise for me, but it makes total sense based off the previous statement, right? So you have, if you have less burnout, less stress, guess what? Then that stress and burnout isn't taken home. Right. You know, the home lives improve right? out of this. A, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, conversations about home are taking place and maybe some considerations are taken into account because of what's going on in the home life. Well, but And taking it, on what I used, you know, like you said, I took on kind of a leader or a, a life coach mm-hmm. more than a boss, right? They say, I'm having problems with my spouse. Tell me what's going on, Right. And being able to not just better their workplace life, but say maybe make some suggestions or just help them think through, be a soundboard, be a sounding board for them. Well, yes. maybe you've been through an experience in life before that the, they're now just facing and you can share right. the lessons that you learned or the experiences that you had in that environment uh, to get them thinking about some things that might be a resolution for themselves. I've had that happen in my, yeah. in my career at Boeing. And, I mean, again, on the home life, I mean, if they have a boss, quote unquote, at work that, and I use that term very, very lightly because the term boss, 
for most carries a very negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a better yet, if you have a leader at work that practices this servant leadership style and you see the value of that, it, again, it, it almost, it impacts the subconscious and creates a modeling in the brain that then they go home and a parent is a leader, right? A family is an organization. These are transitive values, right? Mm-hmm. And they practice servant leadership styles with their children, with their spouse, right? It's going to overall, again, have the kids bought into the family vision, have the spouse bought into a family vision. And it really increases that family-centric culture too. Yeah, when you think, well, think this was just running through my head. So if you think about the number of hours in a week for a human being, in roughly 56, give or take a few hours, is sleeping, and you have an employee that's putting in 40 plus hours in the week, they're coming close to matching the same number of hours that they're sleeping. It doesn't allow a lot of hours left for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So you 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 are impacting, particularly if you're stressing out and burned out and they can't sleep because they're stressed and burned out. You have a huge impact on an employee's number of hours. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a big deal. You know, and are you taking that into to consideration? Um, with my team, we used to do a holiday, you know, like a lot of companies do, we used to do a holiday party at the end of the year and always invited the spouses to come along, you know, for, um, it was typically a lunch, sometimes potluck, or we cater something in or whatever. And I always made a point when I was addressing the whole team to thank, um, to thank the spouses for allowing um, their spouse to do, you know, be a contributor to the team. Because I was sending people around the world. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it's more than just a 40-hour work week. When you consider all the time invested in being on airplanes and taxis and buses and hotel rooms and away from the family and so forth, is that I want to the spouses to understand, I understand by asking my employees to do this on behalf of the company, um, to do this type of work that took them away from their families and having to FaceTime and back to the family and check in with the spouse and so forth, that that was not unrecognized. You know, that we do have an impact on on the people that work for us in mm-hmm. their lives uh, from that perspective. And sometimes that's all they're looking for is just an acknowledgement to say, I understand the decision I'm making as a leader has an impact on your home life. And I understand that. And I take that very seriously. You know, and I think that was greatly appreciated by my team. I don't know. You have to ask them, but... <laughs> I, I just I wanted to make that point as a servant leader that I understand that decisions I'm making has an impact at the right. home. I'd, I'd I'd put money on it was probably appreciated. Mm-hmm. So um, being a recipient of that myself and trying to give that as well. Um, but you know, with that improved home life, with that recognition, um, it really when they're bought into that because they've got 
a company that believes in them so they can believe in the company that exchange is taking place. They're going to be proud to work for that brand. And again, I, I, we've talked about a brand is much, much more than just a logo. Yeah. Right? It is a culture. It is your why. It is the soul of the organization. And you, I mean, let's compare and contrast. If you have a, a group of cogs in the machine that are unhappy to be there, that are only showing up because you're providing them a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And somebody asks them, oh, how do you like working there? And they just berate the company, how bad the environment is. They're unappreciated. Yep. If you're producing a consumer good, and I hear an employee that says that they're mistreated and that the culture is wrong, and then I hear it from another employee, and I'm going to second guess doing business with that company. Uh, just to think of the experience you have going to the, into the DMV oh, yes. to get your license renewed or Un- car registration. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have a choice there, but yeah, and they know that exactly. So. But, you know, increase, there's your bottom line going up. Revenue will increase because then you've got a bunch of happy employees literally advertising by word of mouth. Yeah, and you got a lot of people that are applying to work for your company because of that word of mouth. And now you get to pick the cream of the crop. Right, exactly. In terms of all those people that are applying. So. Because everybody wants to work in that kind of environment. Yeah. And then. Every business wants to grow, wants to increase size for the most part. So by developing other leaders, you can create a compounding effect of leadership through developing a growth mindset culture. Mm -hmm. And with a growth mindset, there is unlimited growth. So a lot of abundance in the world, right? Leaders creating leaders, creating leaders. Mm -hmm. And then you have a massive amount of of value generated within that organization and outside of that organization. Yeah, there's there's a reason um, you and I are big football fans, right? So there's a big reason when you get in towards the playoffs, and I don't care whether you're talking about NFL or college football, right? They start analyzing and go, well, so-and-so coach is from the Saban tree or is from the Dabo Sweeney tree or whatever. Right, so you've you've got coaches that are very successful, and they probably have a lot of servant leadership kind of attributes in the way they coach their players and so forth. But that stuff gets analyzed from the right. standpoint, right? So you're you're creating leaders that maybe eventually leave your company, but uh, you start developing. Well, he he's a GE guy, or he's a He's an Apple guy or he's mm-hmm. or whatever because of that culture and that leadership style that you have prevalent in your company. Uh, you it comes that comes down in an equation about people looking to bring you over to their company or hire you, or if they see that on their resume, oh, he's an Apple guy. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. His his attractiveness factor went up well, two times and, because of that, right? And one of my favorite words and something that I've always really focused on. Um Ever since I really started to study leadership and a word I feel like every leader should focus on is what kind of legacy they're leaving. Mm-hmm. Servant leaderships leave, servant leaders leave a legacy. I mean, again, to use the Nick Saban or Dabo um, example, right? 
Nick Saban's name will live on long after he's dead because of the leaders in the football world that he has created. Yeah, look at... Both on and off the field. I I guarantee you after every college football season, he's going to lose 20 to 40% of his coaching staff because head coaching positions open up in other colleges and they want that... Oh my God, he worked under Saban. Uh, hire they, him. they want that Saban legacy. You know, hire him. You know, right. um, I'm a Georgia Tech alumni. We've got a offensive line coach that coached under Saban, or head coaches on worked for a time for Saban, right, and so forth. And I'm sure that was part of the attractiveness of wanting to bring 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 them over to our program, right? You so. know, and servant leaders are not afraid. I mean, I, I don't. Hear Saban kicking and screaming. I don't hear a Dabo Sweeney kicking and screaming about, oh, I'm losing all these coaches and so forth because they know their model works. They know their leadership style and culture works. And, you know, granted, they're going to be picky about who they bring in next to fill a role, but they're going to apply the same leadership style. And guess what? The program's going to continue to be successful. It can continue to lose, lose coaches, but. It's a program that works, and I'm not afraid of it. And they're right. and they're they're empowering their assistant coaches and go, yes, go go flourish, go go be a head coach right. there. Remember what you learned here, and go apply it in other areas of your life and for a different team or a different program. Right, that's that, what I'm here for. That's think part of my job. Point. You know, being a servant leader, creating a servant leadership culture, it eliminates that fear and really keeps leaders from holding their people captive mm-hmm. on that point. So, but I mean, I, I really, I believe this may be one of the most impactful episodes we've done. <laughs> Definitely one of the most well, content, I hope so. heavy. That's right up there with the love versus fear or right. the self-leadership one. I think they go hand in hand. So They do. Um, but y'all, we, we very much so appreciate you spending your time with us again today. Um, hopefully you can dig in and pull a ton of value out of this. I know personally, even just doing this episode with Andy, I personally did, you know, um, you always learn, they always say you learn better through teaching. Yes. (laughs) So absolutely. Um, really gets the wheels spinning. So, um, Andy, any closing notes? No, I just, um, want to go back to that sort of chicken versus the egg thing, just to put it put across the T and dot the I, so to speak, is that there's multiple paths to get you from point A to point B. We've talked about that in previous episodes, and this is one path to get there. Um, but I think what Zach and I are saying is that the, the benefits of this path outweigh the other possible paths. And that's why it's an important part of our lives and our philosophy and our mindset in life and why generate your value is here. Um, because we, we you know, we want to be a Saban like and teach and build other leaders um to be able to go go do this in the world. And that's that's the reason why we take the time and energy to do this podcast. And we hope that you'll take this under strong consideration if you don't have this leadership style. Research it, think about it, talk with others about it, and make a decision for yourself whether this is something you want to embrace and use in uh, in your business if you're a small business owner or in your leadership role, wherever that might be. You might be at a nonprofit. It doesn't matter. If you're, if you're a leader, 
take this under consideration. Very much so. So again, thanks for your time. If y'all will help us spread the word so we can generate more value, um, just point people here, maybe have them listen to this podcast or this episode first, (laughs) but, um, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button. So you don't miss an episode. Um, that way we can uh, spend time with you every week. So. Yep. Keep spreading the love. And next week. Next week, uh, we're going to bring back our, our buddy Simon Sinek uh, back into the fold. We're going to talk about a concept that he wrote a book over about finite games versus infinite games and how that applies in business and how that applies in life. We've had many good conversations over that. We topic. have. We so have. Can't wait to share those with you all. So. With that being said, y'all go have an amazing week. Generate tons of value. We'll see you back here next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you then. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Generate Your Value podcast. If you find our conversations to be useful in your life, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can find me online on Instagram at The Fitzpreneur, Facebook, and LinkedIn. For information on my coaching services, if you're in the Atlanta area, go to www.generateyourvalue.com. You can also find me and my company on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply search for Generate Your Value on those platforms. Once again, thanks for joining us for today's podcast, and we invite you to generate your value in this world.